It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we'll review the first handful of matches of the ICC Champions Trophy. Speak to former Australia fast bowler Ryan Harris and hear from cricket.com.au's man on the ground in England, Martin Smith, who is doing his best to stay dry after rain once again washed out the Aussies. Sam Ferris here and following a centre rendezvous last week, it's a pleasure to welcome back former News Limited Chief Cricket Writer, Mr Malcolm Conn. Welcome, Mal. Thanks, Sam. Delighted to be back. So have you gone back and have you listened to the podcast? I did. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> it, I've got to say. Nothing like a bit of tr- cricket chat, is there? That's right. There certainly isn't. Okay, we're going to start today with Australia's Champions Trophy campaign resting on a knife's edge after washouts against New Zealand and Bangladesh has them just two points from two matches. Australia was seemingly saved by the rain in Birmingham when they were 3 for 53, chasing 292 against the Black Caps, while at the Oval on Monday, the wet weather denied them a certain victory against Bangladesh. Mount, if you include the warm-up games, Australia has suffered three washouts in just four matches, so it's hard to gauge where the Aussies are at right now. Yeah, very frustrating, I suppose you could say, uh, in terms of the Champions Trophy proper, what the... Uh Weather gods uh, giveth, they taketh away. So uh, <laughs> Australia's really basically uh, had one win. They've got the two points from the two games, although unfortunately still no net run rate, but that shouldn't have a bearing. But uh, certainly the one word that sprung to mind uh, watching that first game was rusty. Yep. Uh, there was no question that they were underdone, and uh, that was obvious from uh, not getting enough cricket through the practice match. I mean, you would have thought that uh, given that some of them have already been playing, it might have made a difference, but obviously different conditions in England to the IPL where most of them have been. Yeah. Uh, that one of the guys that uh, I was was quite impressed with uh, was Johnny Hastings in that first game, and uh, yeah. it, was, it was obvious that he, he had been playing and uh, took the pace off the ball and, and bowled pretty well. And then they dropped in for the second game. They did indeed, yes. <laughs> and uh, it turned out to be a master stroke because Adam uh, Zampa came in and took two wickets. Right, we'll get into him a little bit later on. Uh, Mal Australia's quicks rebounded on Monday after what was a very poor effort against the Kiwis, one that Steve Smith labelled one of the worst bowling displays we've put in for a very long time. You don't hear the Australian captain say that very often. Uh, at Edgbaston on Friday, Australia leaked 114 runs in the first 15 overs, unable to control that white kookaburra ball that, strangely enough, hasn't been swinging around, but they clawed their way back, taking 7 for 37 in six overs. 10 innings, Josh Hazel claimed a career-best 6 for 52. However, at the Oval on Monday, Australia's pacemen were on song, taking 7 of the 10 Bangladesh wickets to 4. Mitchell Stark was back to his best with 4 for 29. As you said, Mal, a bit of rust, but uh, looks like they've come good. It does, and uh, to their credit, they uh, they kept the pressure on when Bangladesh was actually going okay early on. They did lose wickets at, at regular intervals, but Australia certainly wasn't going through them and cleaning them up, but uh, continued to keep the pressure on. There was one over with uh, Moses on Riggs, I think went for about 20 that uh, got away, but overall yep. I thought their performance uh, against Bangladesh, who we know can be dangerous in the, in the right circumstances, was good enough to... Uh, to keep them under control the whole time and then uh, Mitchell Stark went nuts and uh, and finished yeah. it all off. It's been a bit weird, hasn't it? You'd think England conditions, sort of early in the season, that ball will be hooping around, that new ball will be hooping around, but we really haven't seen any swing at all. No, we haven't. If anything, we've seen a bit of seam and obviously the, the moisture around 
uh, suggests that uh, it should help. I mean, in, in England, uh, dark conditions, the, the saying is you look up, you don't look down to yeah. see what the, uh, the ball is going to do. Um, and there has been a little bit of sea movement, but certainly uh, no swing to speak of. Now, Australia sort of struggled with that new ball, actually. Uh, of Josh Hazelwood's six wickets, he took five of the last five overs, and Mitchell Stark, his four wickets came in about nine balls at the end of Bangladesh's innings. Why do you think the Aussies haven't got it quite right with that new rock? Well, again, I think it's it's rust. I mean, you just need rhythm. Uh, you just can't sort of waltz in and do a lot of bowling uh, and expect everything to go okay. And particularly if you're coming out of the IPL in very foreign conditions, I mean, you're, you're hardly going to be trying to bowl traditional swing or seam up in India. You'll be trying to bowl cutters and cross seam yep. and all sorts of things to get a bit of variation. Whereas in England, if you can get it right, you can be dangerous and you can take early wickets and... Clearly the Australians uh, play attacking cricket and that's the way you're going to win if you're playing well with those, that fast bowling combination. You think that they could uh, make early inroads, but they haven't. Uh, it's just, as you say, been at the death uh, when they have knocked them over and it's uh, really important they get it right against England. Mal, you've been around since one-day cricket started 40-odd years ago. Have you seen a better death bowl than Mitchell Stark? When he gets it on song, bowling around the wicket, big left armour, people just can't hit him. No, that's right. Not only can't they hit him, but they miss him. Yeah, <laughs> he keeps right. hitting the stumps. I yeah. Mean, the performance at the end there against Bangladesh reminded me of the way he just skittled teams in that Matador Cup two seasons ago. He yeah. just kept firing and then they just kept missing it. They just weren't good enough. Uh, the only bowler that sort of readily springs to mind that could do that sort of thing was Joel Garner with that uh, really high action and those big raking Yorkers where batsmen had trouble judging exactly uh, how, what height the ball was going to be coming at them. But uh, certainly uh, on song, he's very destructive and certainly against the tail, yeah. um, particularly if the ball is a little bit older and is doing a little bit. Uh, can make uh, life very difficult indeed. As you said earlier, John Hastings out of the second game. Adam Zampa came in. He played very well. He took two for 13 off four overs. It's hard to see him losing his spot now with only a couple of games left if Australia beat England. Well, that's right. And it was interesting that uh, Steve Smith waited until about the 34th or 35th over, I think, to actually bowl yeah. him, which was interesting. I mean, obviously he thought his quicks were doing the job and they were. They were containing, but they weren't really getting a heap of wickets. It was a bit of a stalemate, really. I um, mean, you'd be pretty happy to be in that position. But uh, Zampa came on and, and uh, they tried to loosen, to free their arms and the Bangladeshi batsmen sort of basically committed suicide against him, which uh, is not uh, trying to take anything away from Zampa because he does bowl accurately and he's yeah. got nice variations. So he, he tends to, tempts them into false shots. And that can be the, the trick of the spinner, isn't it? When they come on... They think, okay, now we can clear the boundary for our arms, but ultimately it uh, ends in their demise. Well, that's right. I mean, if you look at Australia's pace attack and you're thinking, well, if I can get through this and get yeah. after um, sort of some of the second stringers, I'll be okay, and it backfired on them. Now, we haven't seen uh, much of Australia's batting because of the rain, but uh, we did see David Warner spend enough time at the middle to register the 36 runs he needed to reach 4,000 test runs. Mal, uh, an incredible effort when you think that a couple of years ago that he wasn't really considered a very good or very destructive one-day batsman. But he's the third, equal third fastest to get there, uh, easily the fastest Australian. And in his last 12 innings, he's got 1,000 runs. It's an incredible turnaround from uh, you know one of Australia's premier batsmen right now. Well, it's an incredible paradox, wasn't it, early in his career that he actually got into the Australian side to play 2020 cricket because of a, of a powerhouse uh, one-day innings for New South Wales yep. against Tassie, I think. Um, and so he hadn't played Sheffield Shield cricket, so to pick someone who hadn't played first-class cricket to then represent your country, regardless of what form it is, was quite remarkable. And he, he smashed 89 against the South Africans, and um, he fell away a bit then. Um, I think the South Africans worked him out. Yep. 
but you're right. In the early uh, couple of years of his career, his test career blossomed. Like he, he started off uh, like a house on fire in his test career, and his 2020 career has always been uh, quite destructive after his sort of uh, start. Uh, but that one day career, he just couldn't put it together, and it was it, it was impossible to see why because he was such a good player that you would think that he'd be suited to all forms of the game, and particularly the white ball game. And uh, he's proved that uh, that it was uh, it was just a bit of a hiatus, really, that uh, he was good enough, and he, he, he's certainly shown it. I always thought about, he was a bit like Michael Slater. You watch him go and thrash the new ball around in Test cricket, but he just could never figure it out in one day stuff. No, it was interesting. I think Slater was a, an interesting case because uh, when he went to bat, out to bat in Test cricket, there were lots of slips and gullies and short legs and those sorts of things. So there's plenty of gaps. So when you played a booming cover drive, it always went to the fence. Where yep. when you uh, played in the bo- uh, white ball game, there was a, a more defensive field. So the booming drive would go to cover or go to mid off. And he, he, I don't think he had the two pace game to, to really work out one day cricket, which was a shame because he was such a talented player. But, but Warner just seems to have sorted it out completely. And it was terrific to see him spend some time at the crease and bat sensibly. I mean, there was no pressure on him, so he had the opportunity to do that, but he took it. He, did, he wasn't cavalier, he batted properly, and that was a really good sign, I think, for the Australians uh, going in against England. Absolutely. Now, Mal, the Aussies looked a bit flat against the Kiwis. We said a bit of a rust there, but they looked much sharper in the field, bowling and, and what we saw in the batting uh, on Monday against Bangladesh. But do you reckon the, the gruelling schedule, especially those players who have played in the IPL, the MOU distractions that are going on right now and then those horrible London attacks, do you think that that's starting to taking a bit of a toll on the squad? Well, it shouldn't. I mean, if you're a professional sportsman of any type, then you've got to front up in the big moments. And this is a big moment. They're playing for their country. And there's no excuses. It doesn't matter uh, in a footy season whether it's the second round or the 20th round. You've got to front up and you've got to do the business. And and there are absolutely no excuses for these guys. I mean, the the IPL is played during their holiday period. So they choose to take their holidays playing in the IPL. That's up to them. can't be allowed to uh, interfere with representing their country, particularly in such an, an important occasion as a as a world tournament. And uh, I would have thought that if you, you were playing cricket, you should actually be in some sort of nick, even though the conditions are very different. So I, I would have thought the batsman at least would be in, in reasonable shape from having uh, batted in, uh, uh, sort of quite a bit in the IPL. But uh, no, I, I'm, I'm a no-excuses person. If you can't front up, you don't deserve to be in the team, regardless of how much cricket you may have played. As we've exclusively revealed, Mal... Australia will play England on Saturday in what is effectively a quarter-final, a must-win match. There are a few scenarios, you can find them on cricket.com.au, that Australia can lose and get through, but they need a lot of results to go their way. So England, Saturday night, Edbiston, which way is going to go, Mal? Australia going to get a bit of a, an early Ashes edge on the, on the Poms? We'd like to think and hope that the fast bowlers will be continue to get better. I mean, at least they got a good bowl the other night. They certainly were better uh, than, they, than they had been in the first game. And you'd like to think they'll continue to improve and they'll take some early wickets and you'll see Stark knock over two or three. You'll see Hazelwood knock over one or two. You'll see Cummings come in and, and take three or four early wickets between them and put the Poms under pressure so that they're always up against it and you, and you can try and close them down. I mean, they do bat pretty deep with... Uh, with Ben Stokes and Josh Butler in that lineup, they've got a good, strong batting lineup. But if you can take early wickets and put them under pressure, it'll, it'll make a lot of difference. So I think that they'll be starting to feel good about themselves, um, the, the way they've been playing. But English, England are a very dangerous side. We saw in their, in their win over Bangladesh, Bangladesh made 305, and the, the Poms ran it down easily. So uh, it, I think they've got a lot of runs in that batting lineup, and uh, you'd uh, like to th- hope that uh, the Australian fast bowlers can be the difference. Now, through the magic of the podcast world, this will come out after they play New Zealand on Tuesday night. But if they do lose to the Black Caps, 
It'll be a very much must-win game for them, which will probably be the first time, probably since that World Cup, that they've been under real intense pressure. How do you think this new side, they're so explosive and dynamic in their batting and their bowling is a little bit weaker now. There's no Chris Wokes there anymore. How do you think they're going to be able to handle it? Australia have such a great track record in knockout and elimination games, but England, not so great. Yeah, they're not, but I think this is a different England team. I think England has always been a safety-first sort of a side and you could see that the way they hung on to Cook for so long as captain when it was clear that he needed to go and then they had a sort of a a debacle for a World Cup because they weren't really ready for it. Um, I think in the past two years they've played a lot better under Owen Morgan who is a naturally attacking player and uh, of course they've got the uh, uh, the relaxed uh, and uh, innovative uh, Trevor Bayliss, the New South Wales coach, very successful New South Wales coach at that uh, in uh, in charge and I think that uh, he'll uh, he'll take a lot of the pressure himself. He'll just uh, let them go out and play their natural game and, and I think that uh, his influence and being able to relax them and get the best out of them will, will have an impact too. So it's... It's, a, it's all out there for England, but I just tend to think that the Poms at home in big games, uh, particularly knockout tournaments, they've got a terrible record. They underachieve, and, and I, I'd like to see that happen one more time. Fantastic. Okay, let's get the inside word from our UK correspondent now, Mr. Martin Smith. Martin Smith joins us now from London after watching another washout involving Australia. Martin, for cricket's sake, please fix this. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. It's raining again today. Uh, I, can t- I can give you some good news. The f- long-range forecast for Saturday in Birmingham for the game against England is good at this stage. No rain, so let's just hold hope that we get a full day of cricket in, in a week, hopefully. That is good news. Martin, Australia were just four overs from victory on Monday night. Uh, take us there. Take us there when the rain started to fall. The spotlight has been cast on the ground staff of the umpires. But could they have done anything to uh, get Australia those extra 16 minutes, those extra four overs? I think that they probably possibly could, um, purely because I think play went off, first of all, at about 6.45 local time. Um, and it was raining pretty heavily then. Um, it had been spinning for a while, but they kept playing. And then the rain did sort of start to get a bit heavier. Um, but then by about 7.30 or 7.45 an hour later, it, it, the rain had stopped to the point where they'd completely taken the covers off and were drying the ground off, um, at which point they announced an 8.30 resumption. Um, but between the announcement of the resumption and 8.30, it started raining again and it didn't stop. So they only needed 16 minutes to bet out four overs. There was more than 16 minutes where it wasn't raining, so I think that just only adds to the frustration when you're, you're sitting there and it isn't raining and there's no play play on. But look, these rules these rules around rain are very very strict, and obviously they've got place safety to consider as well. So there's a lot of things going on. There's the umpires, there's the ground staff. So it's just frustrating. In the end, it's just really frustrating. Yes, I can imagine uh, Steve Smith and the Australians were very frustrated after the game. Martin, what was your take on their reaction? Were they a bit downcast? Are they looking forward to England now? How do you sort of sum that up? Yeah, I think they were just trying to embrace the situation of effectively their game against England now is a, is a quarterfinal. So, um, and you know, if you there, there was, was some suggestion that having got away with one in the weather just safe against New Zealand, perhaps it's it's only just and, just and fair that Australia do go into their last game with just two points. Um, but yeah, look, I think they've they're just going to accept as you do with cricket and rain. And there's nothing you can really do about it as players. You've just got to deal with what happens and and move on. And they're just friendly looking at England now. It's it's not hard to get up against against England in any case. But now they know it's pretty much just straight. Must-win game and knockout game, quarter-final, and um, they're looking forward to that. All right, uh, Smith, 
slammed the Aussie fast bowlers after their poor showing in game one and the quicks responded against Bangladesh Martin uh, what impressed you most about the bowling display oh, they were just they were just far more accurate they were pretty loose against New Zealand there was a lot of four balls they were too full they were too wide they were on the pads I think they conceded about 16 boundaries and three sixes in the first 15 overs against New Zealand which is way too many for a bowling attack of this quality and they only conceded three or four boundaries in the first 15 against Bangladesh yesterday so look I think they're probably all a bit short of a run with the, the washout game against uh, the washout game against Pakistan um, in their warm-up and obviously Mitchell Stark hadn't played for a couple of months but he was back to his best yesterday particularly against the tail he was getting a bit of reverse swing and firing those Yorkers in at the base of the stumps. So they were a lot better. Um, you wouldn't expect them to ever have two bad games in a row. So they were a lot better, and I'm sure they'll be um, as good um, against England as they were against Bangladesh. Isn't Stark amazing when he comes around the wicket? He's got that big left arm. He sort of comes at a wide angle. But the batsmen play down the line of the ball, but somehow, I don't think he can swing it. Sometimes he just gets this natural movement off the wicket, and it just cannons into the stumps. It's an uncanny ability, and one that he's <laughs> dismissed many, many batsmen with. Yeah, it is. It's sort of like when you, you see under-12s cricket and there's the really fast bowler who's just too quick for the, the young guys and they just can't hit the ball. That's what it looks like sometimes because he's just so accurate. And as you said, he gets that angle perfect, gets maybe a little bit of shape away from a right-hander and he just hits the stumps. And it's that, that classic saying of you, you miss, I hit. And he, he hit a lot yesterday. And just missed out on the hat trick by probably about two centimetres. Um, but he got a, a triple wicket made instead. So I think he was pretty happy in the end. Adam Zampa, he got recalled into the team at the expense of John Hastings. He's got a bit of a, a unique haircut, Martin. It must be said, a toned down haircut from what it originally was a couple of days ago. But he delivered four overs, uh, two for 13. Very economical, bowl well. Um, but he didn't bowl until late in the innings, Martin. Did uh, Steve Smith explain that after play? Yeah, well, there were two left-handers um, at the crease for a lot of the middle overs in um, Tammy McDowell and, and Shakib Al-Hassan. And the theory was that with Zampa spinning the ball back into them um, and with a bit of a breeze at one end as well, um, it probably wouldn't have worked in his favour. So basically Smith just waited until um, there was a right-hander in and, and a few hours later brought Zampa on and he did bowl very well. Um, it was a bit strange that he did wait until the, the 35th over, but... I guess the, the quicks were bowling so well and, and Travis Head, the off was bowling really well well too. So I don't think it really mattered in the end and, and Zampa bowled really well and um, we headed Edge Baston on a, a pitch that will be posing its fourth game in a week. Um, might be a bit worn out the surface there so he might have a role to play on Saturday as well. Just on that hairstyle, Martin, uh, I imagine you would have rocked something similar back in your youth. Uh, been the old hand that you are but can you describe it for us for the listeners uh, you've seen it up close and personal tell us what it looks like well he's actually had four different haircuts in about two weeks uh, on tour so he had the the standard sort of long blonde locks that he normally sports um, he then rocked up to the oval the other day with a man bun um, which was <laughs> not I don't think anyone saw coming coming he, he, he um, moved on from that pretty quickly and then it was a, a permed bleached number at Edge Baston that sort of stood out in the gloom and made people have a double take a few times but I think the arrival of his girlfriend in the UK has convinced him that he might have to tone it down a bit. I think even he admitted it was the, the, uh, the bleach number was probably a little bit too extreme for him so he's toned it down. Uh, it's still quite long, still curly, a little bit blonde but um, 
it's not as, not as sight catching as it was before, but it's still something a bit different. You see, I actually thought that was holding him back a little bit because one of the selectors on duty is Darren Lehman, who uh, is very noticeable for not having any hair, and I thought perhaps jealousy might have got in the way of selection. You reckon? That's a, that's an interesting theory. Oh, I, I, I don't mind that actually. We'll have to bring that up to, to Lehman next time we speak to him. But um, yeah, he might be a bit more a bit more uh, agreeable now that he's toned down a little bit. He's not showing off so much with those long locks. Martin, another thing I want to ask you about is uh, beside the runs and the wickets at the Oval, uh, was there a noticeable shift in intensity from the first match to the second game? Uh, I think that the, the gap in class is pretty obvious between between the two teams. I think that Australia's probably got one of the best bowling attacks, fast bowling attacks in the world when they're on and, and particularly against uh, the Bangladesh batsmen who maybe struggled against a little bit of extra pace and bounce. I think it was just more a, a gap in class. It was really obvious, but I think they were a lot more switched on um, than they were against New Zealand. Um, and now they're just, as I said, in a, in a situation where they've got three knockout games. It's essentially a quarter-final stage now, and they'll have to they'll have to be at their absolute best to take on England, who are rightly tournament favourites, and we play at home. And they, England might have already sewn up their semi-final spot by the time they play, but I think they're definitely going to want to beat Australia to make sure the Aussies don't advance to the semis. And it's got to be one of the rare times, one that I can't really remember, that England are going to go into an ODI against Australia as, as favourites. I mean, that doesn't happen very often at all, does it? No, it doesn't. Well, it just it says a lot about how far England have come with their one-day cricket since the World Cup uh, two and a half years ago. Um, they're playing really well at the moment. Their batting is very strong. So I think it's going to be a really interesting battle between Australia's bowling attack, which is very good, and England's batting lineup, which are willing to take the game on, and they bat very deep. So I think it's going to be a really exciting contest. And also looking ahead to the Ashes, you know, you've got Mitchell Stark against Joe Root and, and Josh Hazelwood against Ben Stokes, and all these sort of, sorts of battles that we're going to see in Test cricket in the summer. So there's plenty going on this Saturday. It should be a really, really interesting contest. And I imagine, as you said, there's going to be plenty of cricket played on these wickets now. That Australia will probably stay with that eleven potentially right through the way of the tournament it could be curtains on Saturday but if they do beat England I can't really see them making a change can you? Uh, no I wouldn't have thought so it depends on the wicket obviously when they when they get to Birmingham but yeah there, there would have been three games played on that centre wicket um, by the time Saturday comes around I'm not I'm not sure which pitch exactly they're going to play on yet but I'd imagine it would be a pitch that has already hosted a game uh, which obviously means it'll be a little bit worn out and, and work in a spinner's favour in that sense like it was at the Oval um, on Monday so I'd imagine Zempel would play a role um, but as I say it always comes down to conditions and the, the Australians will assess that um, come Friday or Saturday in Birmingham Okay so what happens between now and Saturday for the Aussies Martin? A bit of training hopefully the weather will hold off uh, in Birmingham so they can actually get out in the nets and have a bit more of a bowl and a bat because I haven't had done much of that so far on this tour. Um, I guess I'll just be keeping a close eye on the results in Cardiff this week. We've got uh, England, New Zealand uh, Tuesday, and uh, which is on at the moment as I speak, and then um, Bangladesh, New Zealand on Friday as well. So I'll just keep an eye on those results and, and their equation will become crystal clear heading into the game against England, but it seems no matter what happens, they just have to win. And if they win, they go through. If they don't, they go home. It's pretty simple. Wonderful summary, Martin. Thank you very much for your time. You can follow Martin Smith on Twitter. Martin, what's that Twitter handle of yours, mate? You don't have many followers, but uh, why don't you plug that? No, I need, I need to have a second chat with uh, MSJ to get my Twitter followers up. But uh, Martin, at MartinSmith9994. It's difficult having a last name Smith. You need to get a bit creative with your Twitter handles and stuff. So I've had to go a bit left of center there. Brilliant. Thank you for your time, Martin. No worries, mate. Cheers.
Before we hear from Ryan Harris, let's quickly touch base on the other matches of the tournament so far in Game 1. As we've spoken about briefly, England comfortably chased down Bangladesh's 305. Tamir Mikbal, who made 95 against the Aussies on Monday, he started with 128, but England through Alex Hales was 95. Joe Root's 133 not out, and Owen Morgan with 75 not out. Romped to an eight-wicket win and showcased the power of their batting unit. Mal, as you said, when it all clicks, no total is too great. That's right, and that's I can only emphasise yet again, that's why early wickets are so important. You've got to put them under pressure because if they're feeling relaxed and comfortable, they're only going to play one way. They're going to go for it. They're not going to be the, uh, the button run of the palms I've seen in the past. They're really going to take the game on. So... Uh, as they proved against Bangladesh, 300, you're not safe. And I think that if they bat well, it would struggle to be safe. So unless you can bowl them out or really make a big dent in their batting lineup, um, you're under a bit of pressure. Now the win came at a cost. Chris Wokes, a side strain, is ruled out for the tournament. They've drafted in Stephen Finn, the big tall quick. How much do they lose there, Mal? Uh, probably if you look at the two disciplines, batting and bowling, batting is definitely their strength. Uh, Steve Finn has played a bit of international cricket recently, but he was in the initial squad. Uh, how much of a blow is that for England? I think it's a significant blow because Wokes is, uh, I think, ideally suited to the one-day game. He's a, a very useful bowler. In fact, we've seen with growing confidence and maturity that he's been bowling uh, can be up around that 140 mark, which is quite lively. Yeah. And, and uh, he's also a, a good sort of middle to lower order batsman, particularly in the white ball game. He's, he's innovative and he's confident and he's not, not afraid to take the game on. And he was batting at something like number eight. So they sort of bat a long way down. So he's, they'll miss a quality cricketer. Uh, and I'm not sure if Finn will actually play. I think that he just gives away too much. He's, he's more of a probably a test bowler where you might uh, lose a few runs, but he might get a few wickets. He he's, can be genuinely quick yep. and good bounce. Uh, but I tend to think that uh, uh, England will be re- re- relying heavily on their batting um, and they'll be get, getting to the point where they hope that they'll make so many runs it won't matter how they bowl. And you'd have to think that the way it's gone with Tahir performing so well, Adam Zampa now, that they'll bring in Rashid. Um, who knows, he might have played once this podcast comes out, but Rashid, the leg spinner on wearing wickets, is going to be a big factor for them. I'm surprised he hasn't played already. I think he's such a... Uh, a good foil um, to a steady attack. He adds variety and uh, we don't see a lot of uh, decent uh, wrist spin in the world as, as it we've seen with the success that the wrist spinners have already had in this tournament. So uh, I'm surprised he hasn't played already and I'll be very surprised if he doesn't play a significant, significant part for them in the tournament um, as long as England are in it. Yep. South Africa started their campaign with a resounding win over Sri Lanka at the Oval. Veteran Proteus batsman Hashim Amla scored his 25th one-day 100 as South Africa cruised to 6 for 299 from 48 overs. In reply, Sri Lanka made a rapid start, but it was Leggy Imran to here, as we said, who proved to be the match winner with 4 for 27. They looked pretty good, did the Proteus Mal, but uh, they were really tested by Sri Lanka. Well, that's right. This uh, Sri Lankan side is... Um very inexperienced team and certainly losing their captain Angelo Matthews such a big part of that side uh, through injury really weakens them even further so it didn't surprise me to see South Africa take them on and take them down the way they did Uh, South Africa had a pretty ordinary one day series in England uh, and uh, they may be coming good Uh, we're yet to see I think uh, against quality opposition exactly how they'll go certainly the names are big whether their form stacks up to their names against quality opposition is another thing on Sunday, it was the highly anticipated clash between India and Pakistan. Always a great contest between those two nations, but unfortunately, only one side turned up. Uh, batting first, India powered a 3 for 3.19 for the back of half centuries to their top four. Rohit made 91. 
Darwin, 68. Coley, 81, not out. And Uvraj, a rapid 53 from 32 balls. Pakistan, they were never in it. All out for 164 inside 34 overs. Mal India, like South Africa, looks strong, but against a weak opposition, it must be said. Yeah, well, uh, Pakistan did unravel, but the, the 319, I think, for that Pakistan side was always going to be a, a big ask. And uh, as can happen sometimes when you're batting second and you're throwing the bat at the ball, trying to chase a big total, you do unravel. But uh, it was Pakistan's bowling that hurt them. But uh, India, are, as we all know, are an absolute quality batting lineup. And uh, to see Yuvraj back in there, the veteran who's had his, uh, his issues and his health issues... Uh, uh, through his career to be in there smacking the ball around like he was, it was sort of turning back the clock. So, uh, again, it'll be interesting to see if they test it against uh, better bowling as to whether a few early wickets give them the jitters, uh, whether they're just sort of uh, one-way traffic in terms of uh, if they're off to a flyer, they're hard to stop. But um, uh, we all know that lurking in the background there is Dhoni who can also do a lot of damage as yeah. well. So they bat deep and, and they've got quality batters. And that's the key for them, isn't it? In 2013... Darwin and Rohit put on a couple of hundred run stands, opening the batting. They've done it again against Pakistan. Indian batsmen are supposed to struggle in English conditions, but they're not quite English conditions with no swing, not too much seam movement. And if those guys keep getting off to such a great start, like you said, India can be very tough to stop. Oh, that's right. It's just about laying a foundation, isn't it? And once they get going, if they get a hold of you and start to get after the bowling and you haven't put pressure on them with early wickets, then it'd be very, very hard to stop them. And I guess the worrying sign for other teams is that Virat Kohli came to this competition with not much form behind him, but he had a, a leisurely 81 not out. He just sort of played second fiddle. I think he said he felt like a club batsman watching Yuvraj Singh blast fours and sixes on the other end. So to see him in form is probably not a great sign for the seven other teams. And that doesn't surprise me either. He's such a quality cricketer. I mean, there were times when you just looked at him and thought, this guy is the best batsman in the world and everyone's going to have a form slump. I mean, it was clearly a... A high-intensity test tour against Australia and India. There was a lot going on on and off the field, and uh, I think he felt it a bit. But um, I just think that he is you know, one of the best batsmen in the world, and we're going to see that. We've already seen that in this tournament, and we'll continue to see it. All right, after a week's play, Mel, are you going to make any changes to the top four that go through either side? Sri Lanka, Pakistan not going to make it. We're just going to see the big four get through. I would have thought that it's uh, pretty straightforward from here on in, the way things have... Uh, uh, panned out, but tournament play, you never know. Certainly uh, England uh, have got a lot to prove in uh, in the 50-over and indeed the 20-over game as well. So um, we'll uh, reserve our judgment on how England goes. Thanks, Mal. Now it's time to hear from former Australia Quick, Ryan Harris. Rhino, thanks for coming on, pal. No worries, mate. Good to be here. Uh, so tell us, what's keeping you busy these days? Keeping me very busy. Uh, it's I'm working with the National Performance Squad up in up in Brisbane, in sunny Brisbane, which is um, it's a great challenge. It's uh, we've literally just started our well, we sort of started our program a couple of weeks ago, probably about four weeks ago, with our uh, with our bowlers who came in three weeks before the rest of the, the, the batsmen and the wicketkeepers and the spinners. Um, we kicked off our week, our sort of proper program proper. I guess last week with a boot camp up at uh, Lake Krakenback up in the Snowy Mountains um, which is an interesting week the boys were able to trek up from Lake Krakenback up to the Threadbow Village so they trekked through or we trekked through snow and uh, had a few different challenges for them on the way and then finished the night in Canberra um, with a couple of little uh, circuits and boot, boot 
bits sort of uh, army stuff, uh, which they uh, no doubt got a fair bit out of. So they're all pretty tied by the end of it. So uh, that's that's the main bit at the moment with the with the national forward squad, and then um, we're also sort of planning for an under nineteen World Cup, which is coming up in in January in uh, New Zealand. So that's keeping us busy at the moment with all that planning and obviously the current program. Right. Well, uh, Snowy Mountains is a bit far from Brisbane, right? Now uh, you're right down there. Didn't have to wear your shorts and thongs for one day. Mate, I tried to wear shorts a couple of days of walking. As you can probably hear, I've, uh, I've probably uh, underclubbed and ended up with a bit of a flu. So uh, I'm a little bit smart for myself there. Um, not wearing enough probably clothes. But, uh, yeah, look, it was it was a great, great little adventure for the guys. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know everyone, I guess. I knew them by name. I hadn't met everyone, uh, same as Matty Elliott. So it was good for us to get in there and meet them and, and just sort of see... Um, on the back of not knowing much information about some of the guys, how they'd react under pressure and also probably more importantly in the team environment and, and how they help out guys that they didn't even know really well so individually. So, yeah, we, we put them under the pressure. But, yeah, personally, mate, it was great to great to get amongst and get to know the guys. But also, I hadn't seen a lot of snow before. It was nice to be in the snow. <laughs> That's outstanding. You've made it pretty known that you want to be a coach and do a lot of coaching even towards the back end of your career. How have you found it now? You've been on a couple of uh, Australia tours, Australia A tours. Um, how have you developed? Where do you think you've made some of those learnings? Oh, look, there's a lot of learning so far, just you know, looking after players and looking after each individual individual player, I guess, as a player. Um, you don't realise how much time the coach is putting into, uh, not so much just well, me as an individual, but uh, each an individual, you know, whether it's a bowling group or batting group. Even though I didn't think I demanded a lot of time you know, from the coach, I guess, you know, they're always... You know, planning uh, behind the scenes on what you're actually what you're actually doing um, in that session, and and um, you know where you've where you've where you've been over the last couple of days, or the last last game you've played, or or what you're coming up um, and going into. So all that as a as a player, it sort of remains to be hidden. So when you when you when you when I, when I jump the fence and and come into it and, and realise there's a little bit more admin work than just showing up and and trying to tell a bloke how to bowl or fix something that he, that he wants fixed, you've got to you know be very well planned and and have a um, a good understanding of all that sort of stuff. And I haven't had done a lot of that in the past. I must admit. So all that I'm still learning. Uh, it's great to be able to, we, we, you know for me now it's, we're getting into the coaching phase of it uh, with the national forward squad. But the, you know I've been lucky, as you said, been lucky enough to get away with a couple of really good squads and, and I guess it's probably more man managing just to make sure that the guys getting to know the guys that are on the tour um, that are in the, in the squad that you know how they tick and what makes them tick and, and when to go and speak to them when you think they're struggling or just to remind them of what their actual goals are or what, what the team goals are at that stage and I think that's what's been great about being able to have the opportunity to go on the Australian tour uh, that I've been on with a with a one day tour and, and guys that I've played with I'm, I'm very comfortable coaching guys that I've played with I've got a good relationship with those guys so it's just a matter of reminding them and making sure they're knowing um you know, getting back to what they do best. If they blow a couple of bad balls and they get frustrated, I was the worst at that. Um, but the best advice I was getting is just don't worry about that. Get on and buy the next one and, and try and you know get the more get the positive thoughts in your mind rather than uh, than the, the bad one or two that you just bowled. So that's sort of what I've been trying to you know keep on doing. Knowing what you know now, who was the most high maintenance teammate of yours? Who demanded the most out of the coaches through your career? Oh, good, good, good question. I must, I'm not going to throw any of my fast bowling mates under the bus. Um, I'd probably have to say the current skipper at the moment, Steve Smith. I must admit, and, and seeing uh, seeing him as a as a player when I was playing, and even now on the, on the other side of the fence, 
how Michael DiVernetto Stroll didn't fall off for throwing so many balls. Um, I've got a lot, a lot, a lot more appreciation for Michael DiVernetto <laughs> at the moment. And, and now, you know, Greg Blue and Graham Hickey were there doing it now. Um, obviously, Smitty, you know, and, and not just Smitty, it's probably you know, a, bit, a bit harsh on him, but a lot of the guys, a lot of the batsmen like to face a lot of balls. And, and I know um, Michael DiVernetto was, was great. He was one of the best side armors going around, and, and uh, he threw a lot of balls. And, and unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, um, you, you probably don't want to be the best of that because um, if you are good at it on tour you never, you're not going to stop doing it until the day you get on the plate well it must be working for Smudge he's uh, averaging 16 test cricket so something's working Rhino we've seen a couple of coaching positions open up actually Queensland your old state Phil Jakes has, has left that role any chance that you might throw your hat in the ring there? Oh, look, I must admit, I'd be silly. I'd be lying if I didn't think about it. But ultimately, um, head coaching me at the moment, I still think is a little way apart. Um, for me to try and, you know, to honestly think that I could walk into a head coaching role at the moment, I'd probably uh, be, well, not kidding myself. I, I, I've got some really good attributes, but I've still got so much to learn. Um, running a running a teams or helping helping to run a team is one thing, but actually running a team, but also running an organisation on the other side of that as well. I've got I haven't had much in, uh, involvement in that, and I haven't had a lot of experience in that. So um, yeah, it did, it did cross the line. It's something I would love to do, um, but probably not um, not just yet. I, I think uh, I've had I've had. A, a couple of good chats with a few people that I've sort of sp- spoken to over my career of playing and even a few of them are in, into coaching and, and they've all just sort of said, look, just you, you'll know when you're ready. Um, but more importantly, don't, ju- don't jump in anything, don't rush into anything um, that you don't think you're prepared for. And I probably don't think I'm prepared, uh, if I'm totally honest, to, to go into one of those roles just yet. I, you know, it might be a year away, it might be five or ten years away, but until that, I know um, that I'm comfortable and I, and I think I've got enough experience. That's when I'll, I'll start, you know, if, if opportunity come up I'll start applying or uh, throw my hat in the ring as you say but um, look yeah one day it'd be great to coach Queensland but probably probably just not the right time just yet How about South Australia Chad Sayers is that he wants to welcome you back down there there's a bowling coach position available down there maybe not the head coaching role but what about the bowling coach yeah, look, I must admit, I read that article not long ago, a couple of hours ago, actually, and I was, um, it was great of the, the old um, South Australian teammate, I guess, to put some good words in for me. And again, look, that was something I, I had thought of. Um, you know, I was, I, when um, I found out about Rob Castle that, he'd, uh, that he had... Um, um, gone up, which was a great, great for Rob Castle. I've heard a lot of great things about him, and a great opportunity for him um, to head over the island. But yeah, look again, it was something that I, I, just, I definitely probably thought a lot more of than probably the Queensland role. Uh, I guess the, the timing of it as well at the moment probably not just not just quite right again. Um, a little bit more experience in the role I'm in now. I'm in a great role now with with the National Performance Squad and Cricket Australia, and, and nurturing sort of the next. Um, well, the next sort of lot of players coming through the pathways from under-15s up to the under-19s. And, and I think, you know, the opportunities I'm getting there is a, is a great learning curve, along with, you know, every now and then I get a, a group of Australian A-bowlers or Australian bowlers come in that I work with. So I think at the moment, for, for me, my experiences, um, this is probably the, the best role to be in. I'm getting, uh, you know, across a, a number of different age age groups and skill levels, and it's, it's, it's teaching me a lot. So, yeah, look, I, I did think about that one. The other thing as well is, like, you know, it's a family situation now. It's a big move going back to Adelaide. Um, you know, luckily I've got a wife that's pretty understanding, and she's actually pretty has pretty settled here in in, in Brisbane. So you know, that's obviously factoring that as well. And, and I did ask the question, and she said, oh, "I don't particularly want to go home to the cold yet." Um, <laughs> sitting, I'm sitting here now. Look, I'm sitting here now, looking at the window at the, the National Cricket Centre. It's about 23 degrees, and not a cloud in the sky in winter. So that had a bit of a bearing on it as well, I guess.
Well, I can tell you now that uh, it's not clear and uh, blue skies over in England with Australia playing in the Champions Trophy. They've been stung by the rain in a couple of matches. But what have you made of their campaign so far? Yeah, well, I guess disappointing in the first game um, to, to, to sort of concede uh, the runs they did and obviously be the position they were in. But again, the, the rain obviously came in uh, and very unlucky last night. I think it's, it's, so, it's so unlucky. I mean, England, a lot of people obviously, you know, think that England, it, it rains a lot over there. Well, it does, but it's, it's very unusual. By reports, the weather, the summer over there has been quite a good summer. Um, and and I've, I follow county cricket quite closely and you can see a lot of the big scores in county cricket which indicates that wickets have been dry and really good. So to get two games washed out, especially sort of two ends of the country, you know, you go up north, Birmingham's sort of on your way up north, you probably get more rain up there, whereas London, you probably don't get as much rain at this time of year. So it's very unlucky to get two games washed out. They're in a precarious position now of, you know, they have to obviously beat England, um, you know, and, and obviously other results have to go their way as well. So, it, 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 look, you can't control the weather. It's just it is what it is. They've just got to make sure that when they come out against England, they've got to, uh, you know, make sure they're on their plate and they've got their A game going and, you know, and hopefully, um, you know, perform well. I think just seeing highlights, obviously, on, on late so last night, seeing some highlights of the bowlers, they look like they you know, we're chalk and cheese from game one to game two, and if they bowl like that against England, um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we shouldn't have too many troubles. So I'm just going to make sure the batters uh, back that up, which I'm sure they will. They were on their way last night, and, and if we get the result, uh, we get the win, then obviously the rest of it sort of is out of our hands. How about the performances of, of Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark? Hazelwood was six in the first match. Stark came back to his blistering best in the second match, four wickets. Um, they certainly have improved after that first game against the Black Caps. Yeah, and it was always going to be that way. I think we've, you know, coming off a, a bit of a break again. Um, let's see, all the guys on Hazelwood obviously had a, a big test um, summer, and obviously India had a bit of a break. Um, you know, I think he got through. I think he played the practice game. I don't think Stark played a practice game, and he was coming off a bit of an injury. So, um, you know, no match practice. It, it, it can affect you. I watched them bowl when they were here uh, before they left. They looked, they looked really good. They were sort of just cranking over them. Um, you know, Starkey would have been probably felt a lot more confident and probably better if he had played a practice game. I'm pretty sure I don't think he played a practice game and had one washed out. So he would have felt better. Um, but look, you know, as we saw it, they, 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 they weren't as good as they probably should have been in that first game. Um, but as good players do and as great bowlers do and very good bowlers as they are, they bounced back and did a great job um, in, this, in, in last night's innings against Bangladesh. So, uh, like I said, if, 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 if those two and you know the whole bowling unit is on uh, and performing as they should in England, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put a lot of pressure on England. Stark claimed his four wickets at the death. Rhino, where do you reckon Stark rates amongst the best death bowlers that you've seen or played with? Look, he's up there. I mean, you, you think about left arm bowlers and you think about what's in that cram, um, you know, to me watching that, those highlights you know it doesn't matter if it's a tail or the top end if they're in at that, that time well they ended up getting the guy who was on 90 feet bar wasn't he got him on 95 um, was one of them you know if he's putting the ball and bowling, bowling the ball at that, at that pace at that length there's not too many around the world that can hit him that will hit him and, and will get him two or over the boundary um, you know he's just got that knack of you know he's, he's one of his in fact, even in Test cricket, one of his strike weapons is the foot, the Yorker, or the full, sort of the fuller ball of the Yorker, and because it's so fast, um, a lot of batters aren't expecting it. Um, but when you're sort of you know batting against the bowling or bowling to the lower tail, and you're bowling those sort of balls, they're not getting in behind it because they know how quick it's coming. But more importantly, they're probably going to get their feet out of the way because if they don't, 
no other, probably a broken foot here and there. So I, I, I just think he's, when he's at his best, he's definitely, you know, he's still a long way to go in his career. And we, you know, a lot of, we talk about greats a lot, but I think by the end of his career, if we're not sitting here in hopefully 10 years' time talking about it, well, he, he would be, well, I think he would be one of the greats of the one day game and definitely finishes. Okay, Rhino, Australia practically got to beat England to advance to the semi finals. Do you see this as a bit of a teaser, maybe a bit of a, an undercard bout ahead of the Ashes next summer? Well, it's perfect timing, isn't it? Um, it's virtually a semi final. Um, you know that, um, that, that, but well, both teams will probably need to win. Um, again, you just, you know, I'm not sure when England play. They probably play tonight, today, or tomorrow. Yeah. So it'll obviously, um, you know, if they lose that, then it's definitely a semi-final situation. So um, yeah, look, it's a perfect timing coming in. You know, a few months away from the Ashes, uh, big game on the line. England Australia is always a big game. In, playing England, England's always hard. Uh, the big crowd behind them, and, and they play very well in their conditions, as we've seen already. They've had a a great summer again, one day summer start to their summer against South Africa and beating them, who are you know the number one team in the world, and and then off to a good start the other night. So look, it's a perfect little teaser. Um, we're just got to make sure that we again not let the occasion get to us and, and enjoy that enjoy the challenge of playing England, England and, and perform well. And we perform to our our abilities and, and all that sort of stuff. Then we'll, we shouldn't have any dramas. But it's going to be a great game, and again, Australia and what a it's always, a, it's always a great battle. Cheers, Rhino. Thanks very, very much for coming on the podcast, mate. And good luck with Australia's next generation. Thanks, Sammy. Cheers, mate. Well, Mal, that's it for another episode. We'll be back next week to preview the semi-finals. Can you believe it? it's gone quickly? You're going to come back and uh, be on this podcast again? Can't wait, Sam. You got a hat trick. This will be this will be the third one. <laughs> well, let's hope a few Australian bowlers get a hat trick, and we're still talking about them. All right. Until then, head to cricket.com.au for all your news, scores, and video on the ICC Champions Trophy. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.